Hello, everybody. Welcome to Sonic Talk, episode uh, 594. Uh, gosh, we're heading towards 600, aren't we? Uh, is 600 a, a kind of... It doesn't. I don't think 600 is one of those numbers. 500 is a big number. Maybe 750 is a big number. 600 feels like just a bit sort of... It's neither, neither halfway nor three quarters. But it's still a lot number. Anyway, it's a podcast to do with music technology that has nearly reached episode 600. We're at 594. So uh, please carry on watching. Uh, we're um, Basically, we cover music technology. We cover synthesizers, software, uh, all sorts of controllers, um, DJ stuff to a degree, music production, live music production, all the stuff that kind of surrounds that whole ecosystem. And we're very kindly, uh, we have our friends over at Isotope are providing a prize this week. Uh, we have switched up to Ozone 9 Advanced, which is their brand new mastering suite. Details on that a little bit later, but uh, we did the first one last week. And I can tell you, people are very interested. The numbers are up. Numbers are up. Report just in. So, uh, yeah, people, th there's a bit more competition, is all I'm saying, if you want to win your copy of Ozone 9, but we'll uh, we'll get on with that a little bit later. Let's say hello to our guests. Uh, our guests are, uh, we're starting on the right-hand side, we have Mr. Dominic Hawken uh, from Snuggle Sounds. Uh, is that the right word? Snuggle it is, Sound. it is. He's Snuggle made Sounds a, this week. Snuggle Sounds this week. Uh, Dominic <laughs> is a singer, songwriter, well, songwriter, certainly, a synthesis, producer. Uh, you can see that because he's, uh, this is a different view, isn't it? It looks like a different it is. view. That we this, is the, this is the rear view. The so reverse. Normally, um, this is normally behind me, so I thought a little little, little bit of a change up. It looks very And there's very a cinema fine. screen at the back, so there's a couple of uh, classic cinema posters, so it drops down the back. But it's cool, oh, yeah, so nice. that's kind of almost like the doorless table. And I stupidly thought, Dawless, that sounds like a great idea. Let's change it up. And then I ended up with lots of small kind of um, weird and wonderful things that, to make noises. But then that got me into the deluge. So yeah, like that's deluge, true. But that's so positive. Really. And of course, uh, Dominic um, also developed uh, just developed an iOS app, which is called Snuggle Sounds, which is a, a sort of sleep and relaxation. Seems to be going great guns. How is it that? Is have you, have you charted? Have you charted on the uh, store Not yet? charted yet. Not charted yet. But um, it's in. It's a free download, so it's slightly harder to reach the top. So it's a free download. You can use it for about a week, and then if you want it, you have to pay. So it falls between the paid and unpaid things, which is one of those challenges. So we'll see about the charts. But it's loads and loads of downloads. Lots of people signing up, so it's clearly working. So that's really good. So yeah, search the app store for Snuggle Sounds if you need to get some sleep or relaxation and support me. Fantastic. Excellent. Well, that's a good plug. Um, nice to have you with us as well. I, I, I'm particularly digging your the uniformity of your bantam patch cords over there. Oh, Very someone else said orange. That. Yeah, that's a sort of it's, it's a thing. Stereo. Yeah, yeah. I love these. It took ages to, uh, to to make, but yeah, they're absolutely wonderful. Megami and all that kind of stuff. Uh, no compromise. And on, honestly, the, the the amount of life you save by just being able to plug stuff in, it's great. But everything, yeah, everything's in stereo. So this two by two kind of Noah patch effect going on there. Oh, nice. I have a theory about patch bays because I have designed a fair few in my time and installed them. I am I put it to you, Mr. Dominic Hawken, that actually <laughs> the amount of time it takes to design and construct a patch bay is not <laughs> directly equivalent to the amount of time it saves you on a daily basis. I think the installation would have to be in situ for perhaps... 15 or 20 years before you actually got that. Could be. Depend, obviously, depending on how much you work. I don't know, Rich. I'll come to Rich Hilton, who's a man familiar with patch bays, of course, uh, plays with Chic and a studio guy as well. He's that guy. Uh, how are you, Rich? What do you think about the patch bay uh, question, the time saving? I think you got to have a patch bay. 
Ah, okay. That's an interesting concept. And 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 you just make sure it's not your time. <laughs> yeah, spent putting it together. <laughs> That's the key, obviously. You yeah. Pay somebody to do that. <laughs> Okay, well, we could work on the equations. I'm sure there's some sort of that. There, there's probably somebody somewhere could write a formula that would work out the kind of the, the optimum amount of uh, patch bay time versus work time versus paying somebody else to do it time. I, and I, yet, I, you, and yet, you'll put together a euro rack thing, uh, fully yeah, that, intending to patch between them. That's true, but that's that doesn't. You don't have to think about that in advance. That just. They just are there. Then you just kind of go, well, where is the patch for that? It's not always, it's a constant if you've got the module in the rack. Whereas designing the patch bay, you have to work with the concept of what happens when I buy a new effects unit or if I put eight more mic ties in or I get a True. new desk or I. Yes, yes. Yeah, that's to be story. honest, the, the, the Mogami patch cables cost so much I can't afford to buy anything else. So it's, it's all cool. <laughs> They'll just stick as they are. I think it's probably the safest. Part. There is that too. But anyway, enough of this. Enough of hijinks. But yeah, I, I, I'm just curious about that. These, these kind of things that sometimes that make us think we're saving time. But in fact, they're not. It's like shortcuts, isn't it? When you just think, I, I, I'm not sticking in the traffic. I'm going to follow this route just because I'm going to keep moving. <laughs> and actually, you probably end up, when it comes down to the energy equation, you're probably not that much better off, if at all. But you feel like you've done something. It's just like being able to do. Anyway, I, I'm waffling now. So uh, let's go. Um, Hello, first thing first, here we are. Oh, or if we're not. Oh, I know what's happened. I've got this driving closure, which basically... Um, goes to sleep and I haven't figured out a way to oh. stop it going to sleep which is when I play videos it stops for a bit and then it starts again so I'm gonna, maybe I'll try that again did, and see if it Did you put back. Dom's software on it? No <laughs> I I, I, yeah. Hey good well, that's an interesting idea Let's see is it coming back? <laughs> no Oh that's annoying Oh well, whatever. Oh, there he goes. Let's Hello see. Hello and welcome to a Sonic Lab special. Let me find my mouse here from Universal Audio. What we're looking at? Uh, there we go. Apollo X4, which is a new uh, four-channel I/O desktop also unit. We're right next to you. We can grab it. Oh, this is and the, the new twins, twins X twins X, which is same format, uh, same sort of form factor as you'd expect, you know, from the, the standard Apollo, but with what X mic pre's and so the Unison mic preamps are the same. So there we get it. These are the two new or three new interfaces from the Apollo range. We've got the desktop, which has four channels of Unison mic preamp, uh, ADET I.O. and six analog outputs. So it's a bit more kind of useful for recording in the field. Uh, the, the Apollo Twin, a lot of people use, might kind of take a pair of mics. Uh, but obviously, sometimes you need a bit more than that. And if you don't want to take your full rack system, it's like the thing you can grab and put in a bag. And it, it looks like a kind of well-positioned thing. I know a lot of people use the Apollos, uh, whether it be the racks or the desktop stuff. Um, you know, And because the new Xs have new converters and new mic pre's, they say it's got special source in it, which they've now applied to the, the desktop range, essentially. I'm going to come to you, Rich. I don't know. Do you use the Apollo stuff in the studio? I don't know. I, I, I lose track of who does and who doesn't. I mean, there's lots of people do. I have UAD stuff, but I UAD two stuff, but I don't have actual Apollo interfaces running at the moment. Those are very nice products. Um, they obviously expand upon products that existed previously in their line, and they upgraded the mic preamps and the connectivity. And I've been looking forward. I went to AES last week expecting to see a glut of Thunderbolt three interfaces because I just happened to be considering getting one. Right. And in fact, there was nothing. 
really? that I hadn't seen before. Literally nothing. Furthermore, companies UA didn't wasn't there. PreSonus wasn't there. Um, I don't think Motu was there. If they were, I sure didn't see them. Uh, it seems to me pretty much everybody is bailing on New York's AES and deciding to go with the AES that's next to NAM in Anaheim in January, thinking that there is that much more traffic there. Right. Oh, okay. Because of NAM, because they yeah. have now put an AES show next to NAM right there in Anaheim. So it seems like it's affecting the New York show. New York show had a lot of transduction, a lot of microphones, a lot of mic preamps, a lot of, you know, uh, a few big consoles. That was cool. But anyway, back to UA. Um, really, really nice products that we didn't see at, at uh, AES. And uh, I've been looking for something like that. And now I'm hoping the floodgates will open and various other people will pony up some thunderbolt 3 interfaces as well well this uh, yeah this is the other thing about these these now uh, they've moved up the range so now it is a thunderbolt 3 so you use get to use that cable i would point out though because i thought whoopee we can use the one we get with the mac it's not uh you need the one with the little uh lightning because this is just a USB-C. it's the same connector but it's not a, a thunderbolt 3 connector you need the one that's got a little lightning bolt on it because it's got some active stuff in the uh in, in the cable ends so uh and there i was thinking whoopee you know because normally we get uad stuff in for review and you know it's like 60 to 100 bucks on cabling or conversion between you know your thunderbolt one or two whatever it may be you know and that that works across a number of thunderbolts so these will use the standardized thunderbolt 3 connector which is the same sort of flat connector like this but it's not this, it's a Thunderbolt version. So they aren't the same is the important thing. So you will need it, a cable. You're saying that it comes with a cable that's different from your standard Thunderbolt 3? No, I'm not saying it comes with a cable. It doesn't come with a cable, It but you can't use, like, for instance, if you wanted to use, oh, I'll use the power supply on my Mac, that white cable, you think that was it. No, it's not. It's You need a specific Thunderbolt 3 cable for or any, not just UA stuff, but Thunderbolt 3 stuff. You can't just use a USB-C, which is a USB 3 cable. It's not the same thing, even though the connectors are the same. Because okay. they share the same. Okay, got it. Yes. Yeah. All right. I, I got it. I got it. I got yeah. it. Yeah. yeah. I'm glad. I'm glad I, I muddied those waters particularly. I wanted, <laughs> no, I wanted. I wanted to. And uh, uh, somebody's asking me why I care about Thunderbolt three. I have. A, I'm looking at my brand new iMac right now, which has got an i9 processor and a gob of RAM, and uh, and it's got Thunderbolt three hanging off the back of it. And I'm having to go through two different conversions to get to my current interface and yeah it works but it kind of pops really nasty when you shut the computer down and it's not really designed for this so i'm curious to see what comes because it's mm. been here for a while that thing anyway so maybe maybe life would be better um considering well the thing that the other thing that I, I don't know um <clears throat> uh dom i don't know whether you uh, you an rme guy i can't remember whether you are rme i've or, got uh, bell converters um and i looked into it, it was about three or four years ago and i looked really closely um at their stuff and it was all i wanted was as as great sonic quality as perfect as possible because there's a lot of old synths and stuff here um and uh, basically as long as i could get it into the computer as if it was going on to tape and it was just lovely sounding then i could do everything else in the box and i ended up going with burl which was ironically probably one of the more expensive ones and they've got transformers on the input purely for the quality so i'm really interested that the input quality on this is is has improved because it's probably right on par with what i've ended up with because it's two or three years old anyway um 
and because you miss out on all those lovely effects and stuff that people who've got it are always saying how amazing it is and it moves all of the processing power off your your computer and stuff so so the answer is no i haven't but i'm, I'm really in, interested in having a look at this i also want to try and get something that isn't racked as well so that i can take it around with me and just plug it into my laptop and stuff i'm also in the market for a new laptop as well so it's kind of kind of good timing that something like this comes comes about but interesting as rich says that there's not that much else kind of on the market that's 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 coming out and taking the world tb3 by, by i think there's uh, antelope do so i uh, do tb3 and the stein i think the steinberg is uh th- i'm not sure if that's thunderbolt 3 we're looking at that um gaz has got a review in the pipeline of the steinberg thunder high resolution mm. audio interface which does like 32-bit recording at what i mean it's it's astonishing what it could do i'm looking forward to kind of hearing the the difference with that but um I think the thing, you know, because people often say when you po- when UA post a new thing, it's like, oh, man, you know, I've got plenty of juice in my computer. I don't need this. And that's fine. And you do. Yes, I totally agree. But it, the thing that makes them more interesting, and we uh, we covered it with um, Steve Evans, who did a review of the, uh, the Apollo X for us. And he just said, well, the thing is, I can go to a studio and I can record a drum kit through a rack of Neves or a rack of APIs or whatever with this. You know, this is this is what makes it different to me because I can process the audio on input in real time and decide yeah. what sound I want. And and in many ways, this is the interesting thing. It kind of it's almost a regression back to producers who just want to make a decision and go with it. You know, it enables that, but it enables you to choose from all of those things because a lot of people. A lot of people like to, tr- you know, uh, particularly with DAWs, like to track clean and then think about it afterwards and maybe decide to kind of reamp or whatever it may be, you know, so you keep your options open. And I think the thing about the, the UA, I mean, you could do both, obviously, but it enables people to just go, yeah, I want the sound of a three or a four mics through a Neve LA2A type of vibe on that drum kit and it's going to sound great, you know. And so that's the thing. Now, I, I wonder, Rich, whether you agree with that. I mean, whether this concept of just going with the, you know, your gut feel. Record it. Stop messing around. <laughs> no, well, I, I think that there's a lot of validity to the modeled input path. Yeah. In other words, you, you can do console models and things like that. I understand also taking a direct signal, and even if I'm recording a guitar in a studio through an amplifier, I'm taking something straight off the guitar just in case I want to use it later um, right. these days. Because who cares about track count? But you want to have that option to be able to deconstruct the what you've constructed the day you recorded it so i understand both of those theories but i think that with respect to recording through plugins the idea is not so much you're going to put reverbs and delays on things but that you're going to fashion an input path that sound that has some kind of console emulation or uses some kind of emulated compressor that you wouldn't you know that you might use on input anyway because back in the day when it was tape I'd usually touch a little compression on certain things on the way in, knowing that I was going to touch it again after it got there, because I always thought that hitting it lightly twice sounded better than hitting it hard once. Now, it's a totally different world now, and that's not always the case anyway, but that was just kind of how I was approaching things at that time. And I could still approach it that way again if I used hardware like this. And other people, by the way, are emulating this, both Antelope and Apogee are showing native running plugins that run inside their hardware and allow you to do stuff like this. And they are emulating the same kind of stuff that everybody else is emulating, yeah. the classic stuff. Well, that's I think, true. Um, I mean, it's popular. I, su- I suppose they've they, they've got a bit further to, a bit further to go as far as because UA have been doing it since you know for, for such a long time. I suppose they've got 
uh, but they might be doing it a different way. So there might be different sounds to the same thing. Sorry, Dom, did you? Uh, did you yeah, I was just uh, going to say the thing about I wanted to raise that thing about just printing stuff, you know, whether it's onto a hard drive, onto tape or whatever. I think I'll start a, start a campaign for committing sounds now because I'm as guilty as anyone of like leaving everything MIDI into plugins or, or a live synth sitting there because you actually don't want to make that decision that you've committed to it. And then over the last, I've just I've been actually doing a lot of techno stuff over the last two or three weeks. And it's just, even when you apply this to, to kind of EDM or to synth-based stuff, when you're not going out recording guitars and you're not going out recording bass, might even be, you know, in the box, just committing it to audio and going, right, you know, that is my kick drum. You know, I might compress it a little bit coming back. I might do some more work. But fundamentally, if I push the channel up, I've got it right. So if I push up all these kind of eight tracks, that, that is my tune. Um, rather than just chilly shallying around for, for, for days and days and not actually committing to the final mix. If it's wrong, fair enough, go and go and put another kick drum and start again from scratch. But honestly, it's been it's been life changing just going, do you know what? All right, just print that down and you push them all up. I, I did a remix of, I can't remember if I've told this one before, of State of Independence. Um, and we got these 48 track, very early, 224 track slaves. Um, and you could just hear everything comped. And it's, I think it's Quincy Jones, isn't it? And, and you would just push up two tracks of backing vocals and everything was beautifully comped. And you could literally just push these faders up and go, do you know what? It's, it's pretty much there. You might want to put a bit of reverb and everything. But the, the, this, everything was just beautiful. Um, and, and you suddenly think, well, that's OK. You don't start thinking about whether the kick drum's got enough punch to it. It just sounds great together. So so I think I'm going to start. Uh, there's, a, there's a photographer called Fro who has a, I only shoot raw, never put your camera on manual. So I think I'm going to start a campaign for, you know, commit commit your audio. I have to come up with a better name. But basically record everything. Don't leave anything else running live and just live with it. I think it's probably the best way to go. Yeah, I think that could work in some instances, and I, I see Rich. Rich is putting his hand. But then sometimes, you know, <laughs> when there's when there's there's deadlines and there's 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 you know there are other people involved, like record companies and artists who might change their minds and and all this kind of mercurial behaviour that people have become used to. Then you know that you have to kind of accommodate that further down the line. It might be your choice, but you're not the only person. I've got the exact opposite because I remember um, we got the multi-track, sixteen-track multi-track from. Uh, Casey and the Sunshine Band, uh, Get Down Tonight. And it was literally, I put, I've t probably told this story, and you, again, you push up all the faders, and it was sort of all there, but it sounded like a mess. I mean, because there was so much spill and so much kind of, the clarity and focus of the final mix was just definitely not there in the multi-track. <laughs> and I could not, for the life of me, I was thinking, how on earth did anybody make anything out of that? It just Because you've got the piano, the guy's just playing the piano with the sustain pedal on, with the drum kit blasting through the back of it, or whatever it was. It was just like, it was a mess. Um, but it was a great vibe. It was a really great vibe. And, the, you know, there's there's a bit, even at the beginning, I remember this vividly, because right at the beginning, you can hear the tapes rolling and you hear all these bangles and jewellery kind of chingling and jangling. And then the, and then the backing vocalist, one of the backing vocalists goes, hey, is that a real wood floor? <laughs> and you just go, I can picture what's going on here. You know, it's a real sort of like, there's a real life to it. And it was beautiful. Uh, but I, I'm glad it was a nightmare to mix because I thought, oh, I'd love to use the piano. But it's like, I can't put that in a in a sort of electronically contri uh, contrived uh, mix alongside it because it's just got all this other crap coming down it that I don't want to use. But uh, yeah, anyway, it's fun. Um so yes, Rich was desperate to to get in. Oh, wait, wait. that's the old school. That's proper New York school recording, that Rich, isn't it? Right. 
Yeah. It's yeah. A, you know what? You have to stop being creative when you put the microphone in front of the drum. No, you're going to do the best you can at that moment. Yeah. Oh, no, absolutely. Tomorrow, I, I, you're going to do the best you can at that moment. And yeah, next yeah, absolutely. You're going to do the best you can. I've got it. Yeah. I mean, I, I, just, I just remember that one because I was, it was, it was still great, but it, it, the the mix it required was beyond my capabilities, shall we say? <laughs> Which is not saying much. Um, okay, right. Well, so the UAD stuff. Uh, yeah, the the big one is I think it's like eighteen hundred bucks, and it comes with a quad. The there's also a, a, an X twin which is twin and quad dsp this is there's no there's no solo one if you want a solo you go to the arrow which is just the one channel unison thing so uh, but the other thing that they've got uh, while i remember is this uh dsp pairing which allows you to chain up more than one dsp per input so you can create quite a complex and larger chain of stuff on a single input which should you require it and so i guess that uh yeah hey Anyway, I think that's pretty much covered. Uh, let's have a little uh, word from our friends over at Isotope. Let's do that now. I think we should. Building on a 17-year legacy in audio mastering, Ozone 9 brings balance to your mix with never-before-seen processing for low-end, real-time instrument separation, and lightning-fast workflows powered by machine learning. Expect lower CPU usage and shorter startup times with Ozone 9 compared to Ozone 8. Experience fluid metering in a fully resizable environment that lets you track the most subtle details of your audio. Use more plugins at once, mix while you master without worrying about slowdowns or dropouts. And immerse yourself in a smooth, modern experience designed to keep you in your creative flow. As you can see, Ozone 9 is the fastest way to get your master off the ground. Thank you so much for watching. Be sure to check out our other videos and head to isotope.com to learn more about mixing and mastering and to download your free trial of Ozone 9. Indeed you can. And uh, we have a competition this week. Uh, we're looking for the hashtag. You can win a copy of Ozone 9 Advanced. That's an advanced one, which you get a lot more metering. You get all sorts of really cool stuff in that. Uh, well worth checking out. Um, we're looking. I'm looking for the hashtag Mix Polish as one word and the hashtag Ozone 9 to at Sonic State and at Isotope Inc. That's a Twitter competition. That's all you need to put in, but you can put other words and other characters. But we're looking for the hashtag Mix Polish, the hashtag Ozone 9 to at Sonic State and at Isotope Inc. And then we can search based on that. And that gives us all the entries. And then we pick a random number. And the last week's winner uh, was uh, Aviziv, uh, who's at Improziv uh, on Twitter. Uh, says, love Isotope and Sonic State. Would love to try Ozone on my projects. And this was last week's hashtag. So if you get in touch, you will be... Uh, well, you, we can we can put you... you we can put uh, Ozone 9 Advanced in your... Um, in your account. That's the word I'm looking for. Anyway, right, let's get on to something else. What's, uh, what else have we got here? So we've done that one. We've done UA. Ah, here we go. World's smallest synthesizer. Now, this in itself is perhaps not terribly thrilling. It's basically a MIDI, a 16-voice polyphonic Hello, synthesizer inside again about a MIDI plug. MIDI. Let me this show is you the guy that uh, that created the original project, one, I got a message from and uh, he's also he's made a new one. I'll, I'll roll it on a bit. I mean, I'll tell you what it is about this that made me really fascinated. So he's made a new one. It's called uh, where's it called? It's got a it's got a picture of it somewhere. I'll just see if I can find it. There. Flash synth, I think. Isn't it? Flash synth. There it is. That's what it looks like now. And it's he's built a, a, a small production run. He got in touch. What, 
or because I think he built the first one that um, because Mark Tinley replied to this email thread saying, "Oh, this has already been done," and it's like it's the same guy. And but I don't. Uh, you probably haven't had time. It's a forty-minute video that is him explaining why he's done all these things and all the design choices, and it's really fascinating. I found it really, really interesting. He's a very compelling presenter. I think he's called uh, uh, Tim Alex Jacobs. I think he's like the mad scientist behind it. You can buy this thing. Uh, let me see. I've got it here somewhere. Where was it? Uh, here it is. It's like 129 euros, 130 euros. A stereo. So, I mean, it doesn't sound the best in the world. I mean, no, there's no messing about it. But he's come up with some just really interesting ways to to solve these design issues. So it's got a stereo output. You plug it in. It's powered by MIDI. Uh, we've seen that before. I think Ploytech did something similar. But the, it's just I, the video itself is worth watching because it's just full of really interesting stuff about the design. I'm going to come to you, Don, because I know that you like to make things. You know, you're a man yeah. who turns his hand to this sort of stuff. Did you get a chance to see yeah, any I, of that? Yeah, I saw all of it. I was fascinated. It was just it's brilliant. Thank you so much for uh, for pointing it out. It's, uh, it is incredible. And he says himself, this is probably his his kind of last goodbye to the DIN-based MIDI thing. He can't really take it that much further. Um, but, I mean, it's it's fascinating for a, number, for a number of reasons. He uses a thing called an SM32, which is a tiny processor, and they've started making these things run on less and less current, less and less power, mainly for the Internet of Things. So they're, they're kind of designed to stick into fridges or uh, plugs or lamps, that kind of stuff, and, and, and Wi-Fi in and do something remotely. Um, but there's the, the, the MIDI spec, th there is a tiny amount of current that goes down one of the wires, but it was never intended to power anything. It was, it was in, MIDI's actually optical. So when you, when you plug a MIDI cable in the back of your synth inside, there's a little optical connector that flashes light, and it means that you don't get earth loops and all sorts. So it's really just designed to power that tiny little LED. So to power basically an entire computer off of 10 milliamps, and fit it in the plug. And he fits it in by making a circuit board that's basically made on flimsy plastic and rolling it rolling it up. And there's a big, biggest thing in there is this capacitor that does the power. Um, but it's just just incredible. And I, and I love the enthusiasm. I love the idea that it works. It's an FM synth at 16 voices, and you can upload your own algorithms. He's going to publish. He's, he's thinking of publishing the source code. The only reason he hasn't is because he just thinks he says it's a little bit of a mess, so it needs tidying up. But all coders are like that, um, and I think it's brilliant. And when you compare it to the idea of a synth on a USB stick, I mean, that's great. That's cool. You've already got nice power there. You can do all sorts of things on USB sticks these days. But it's so um, it uses up so much space, as in as in sort of digital space on a USB thing compared, you know, a MIDI port. We, we, I think we talked about this a couple of weeks ago, the, the idea of using up an entire MIDI port to power a synth uh, for MIDI, it just seems such a waste because it can do so much more. And, and MIDI is such a, a low bandwidth thing. So, yeah, I absolutely love it. And um, I really like the guy, is it Aaron? There's a guy that's backed him anyway that's actually handling the sales who seems really into um different scales um you know chromatic scales and pitch tunings and stuff so they're two kind of absolutely dynamic kind of geeky musicians really who've done this amazing thing and, and i love it I it is it's great uh, there's, there's some fantastic comments in the chat room sorry i was just a synth that can be swallowed can never be stolen <laughs> i like that one and there's uh, there's this one as well which was oh damn i haven't got that set up yet let me let me find that it was in the chat room who was it uh, scott from canada said uh um 
Klagner synth, which is is again a, a, a which is a, a, an ode to Gaz, I suppose. It, I mean, it doesn't sound the best thing in the world, but it's just such. It's it's almost like building something out of matchsticks, you know. It's like impressive, but but you can buy this and you can share in his enthusiasm. And I sort of would love to support him, you know. He's only making a small number of them. I think they're 129 euros, and you get them shipped. But it comes with this little clever. He solved all these problems. That basically means it can be updated, but it just has. He's built a special lead that also comes with it. That's that just plugs a USB and then you can you can through a serial I, I can't I don't pretend to remember remember how, exactly how he does it but it's just clever stuff I know Rich I, you know what I mean it's sort of it's just such a neat and nifty I don't know if you got a chance to see the whole thing but it's I you either get into, into it yeah if you get into it you get into it if you don't you don't you know it's one of those things. I did start skipping through about, I don't know, 15 minutes in or something. But uh, <laughs> but it's fascinating. It's fun. I'd love to see a Christmas tree adorned with a few dozen of them with light, with attendant lights. So whichever one is being triggered at the time. <laughs> I mean, I imagine all kinds of decorative uses for this thing. Um, it's funny because the only things you can access are the things that have MIDI control numbers. But then again, all software has MIDI control numbers for all their parameters. So that's really no different, except you don't have a screen to be able to manipulate those things with. So you have to, you know, you map it to whatever controller you're using. But I was really impressed with the degree to which you could map it. And, uh, and it sounded okay. And it was fun. And I dug his enthusiasm. In a yeah, big way. he sort of seems like a very smart guy who's going to be, you know, who could apply himself to a number of things and his it just he just seemed like a you know somebody who could who, who will no doubt come up with something also that we will see in the future that will be even greater and perhaps more uh on trend shall we say bigger and better synth dongles <laughs> yeah yeah massive clagnut then maybe that's what it could be called <laughs> although so far dom the uh the, the the title that is going to shilly shallying around i like that as a as oh a, cool a, I think you could get the title this week, which is, I, so we'll have to see how, how the rest of the show goes. Um, anyway, you could get hold of that. It's uh, if you just look at the Flash Mini Micro MIDI Micro Synth, you should be able to find. It. I'll stick show uh, link in the show notes, but it's kind of it's kind of cool. Um, okay, the number three. Let's check this out. This is uh, this is kind of cool. This is a this is an Indiegogo actually. The, remember, we did something on Skoog, which was a kind of uh, musical. Um, interface for perhaps people with learning difficulties or disabilities who just wanted to be able to have a tactile thing to play. And this is kind of a similar thing. And on the face of it, it seems like, oh God, who needs just a one button thing? But there's actually quite a lot of expression going on. If you check the video, it looks like it actually does either MPE or some sort of polyphonic aftertouch. And you could imagine people putting this in using it in more creative ways than perhaps it's being displayed. And it's only 30, 30 bucks, I think they go for on the Indiegogo, which is, you know, seems like a, a very uh, reasonable cost. I thought it'd be more than that. And uh, of course, uh, was that, who was that? Was that Bizet or Carmen? That was Carmen, wasn't it? That was, uh, which I think was Bizet. Which one was that? Because I, I did a remix of that very tune and I can't even remember what it was called. It was Philippa. I did Philippa Giordano's version of it. What was the Man. state of the multi-track? Uh, it was massive, absolutely massive, because it had a choir on it. It had a kind of synth orchestra and MIDI orchestra and all this other stuff. Um, so uh, yeah, I was going to just go to this. This is the this is the Kickstarter play. I mean, it's you know, it's got 
Where are they? They're only looking for eight grand and they've got halfway through the month. They're nearly halfway. But it seems the sort of thing that could, I think Scoot did pretty well. I don't remember. Do you remember? I don't know if you remember that. It was a multicolored square, Rich. It had all sorts of squishy things, and and it was, it was being used in sort of educational facilities, and people were learning difficulties, and it looked like a really good, fun thing to play with. It was just a USB thing, and this by the same people. Uh huh. Yeah. So I actually watched the video for the thing you're talking about. The thing that kind of looks like a multicolored. Yeah, block that's right. These kinds of surfaces on each of the flat. Uh, that's right. Yeah. Surfaces. But anyway, uh, well, look, if somebody can sell a controller that looks like something you put your foot up on to get your shoes shined, then I don't see why this shouldn't work. <laughs> I suppose that's true, actually. There's there's something, uh, uh, I mean, it's similar, uh, a similar concept, perhaps, um, as the Expressive E. Yeah, that's, I know what you mean. That's what, that, is that, I'm assuming that's what you refer to. I, I, I guess I don't that. even know what it's called, but you know what I'm talking about. That yeah. thing that looks, that's got, it's kind you can kind of rock on it and you can touch on it. You can do all that. But ultimately, you could also put your foot up on it and ask somebody to polish your shoes. You um, could. It'd probably break, but <laughs> it's not designed for footwork. But anyway, in any case, it's, it's, it looks interesting in the fact that it does appear to send MPE because they take pains to show you that it's controlling uh, Equator, which is a rolly software that yeah. does accept MPE, obviously. So, yeah, um, it looks like fun. Yeah, my so, I'd uh, like to. I'd, I'd have a touch on it. Yeah, so it's thirty bucks. A press. I think it's going to be forty-five quid. Yeah, th thirty quid. Oh, oh, 30 so quid. Estimated yeah, shipping October this month. Forty bucks. Yeah, forty bucks. Which I I think yeah, that's right. cheaper than I expected. To be honest, I thought it'd be a little bit more expensive than that. But hey, who knows? Um, I don't know, Tom. Um, this is this is. Uh, I, it's a bit of a flip thing, but I just like the look of it because it's so sort no, of unusual. It's cool. It's, cool. it's I, I quite like the fact. I mean, it's a button, right? That that talks to an That's iPhone. So kind of it, squidgy. It, a bit about the MPE, obviously. So it's it's tactile, it's touch sensitive, and all the rest of it. I mean, I quite their 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 um, their Kickstarter actually says tell us what you want us to do or what you want it to do and we'll make it work, which is brilliant because it's like a product. I'm, I'm surprised slightly that they've said music is the thing that's going to sell this product. So full mark to them to do it because you kind of, you can imagine it going from the obvious one with the, the big mallet that you hit it and you, you, your iPhone goes up to the top and goes ping or something, you know, that is it, the, the fairground kind of ring the bell with the mallet game. <laughs> or you could have like kind of, um, I don't know, like like a gym workout for your, for your wrists or something. Or anything that you need a big squidgy button to use you can use this for it just so happens that they've applied it to music so so full marks to them um oh, yeah, that's good but it is a little bit like the playstation guitar you know where you have to just hit it in the same rhythm as, as the chords. No, i mean brilliant thing but i can just see loads of people hacking it and using it for something else there must be a better use for it than than whack-a-mole but yeah. um, you know, there's going to be something out there. <laughs> I, th I think you're great. I mean, I, I think it could be something that definitely. I, I I think I don't know what connectivity there is on it other than via the phone, whether it's a Bluetooth or a Wi-Fi thing. But yeah, I like the look of it, and I hope it does well because it, it just it's like you say, it's the sort of thing that could be quite uh, useful uh, for something or other. I mean, it, you you figure it out. I mean, you could imagine it being um, yeah being. I did have a, th a thought of what it was, but I can't remember what it was now. But yeah, if you want to check it out, um, it's basically, I'm just trying to think, it's on skoogmusic.com is where their other products are. So you can check that because you can buy the Skoog. Uh, I thought it could be, it should be called, it's called Squitch, but I thought Squidge would be better. Feels, but maybe Squidge is something that's uh, more, less SEO friendly. Perhaps not. Uh, right. What else have we got? Uh, actually, let's just have a quick. Um, let's just get, take a, a break for our friends over at Softube as well. 
This is, of course, Monument Base. New virtual instrument. Actually, this is, they sample a lot of uh, sort of bass-heavy synths through some very interesting bass-centric paths. Stereo with some very specific bass processing. So what comes out at the end of it is actually really, it sits very nicely and occupies that low end of the mix very, very well. So it's well worth checking out for that. Um, not only that, it's also got some really interesting aging and sort of noise burst stuff that kind of evolves the sound in a way that makes it sound more sort of vintage and aged. It's got some really unique processing. I'm thoroughly worth checking out uh, over at softtube.com. So, uh, what was the next thing I had on my list? Ah, new MIDI I.O. Uh, iConnectivity stuff. We were going to do this last week because I know that uh, uh, Yoad's got a massive MIDI sort of routing system in his uh, studio, which is all done over kind of old school connectivity, uh, old old ports. Whereas these new MIO, uh, where is it? It's the XM. Uh, I'm trying to think. Is there a way to scroll that? I, uh, where's it gone? It's the MIDI IO, uh, uh, let's see, it might be here. MIDI interfaces probably get me there a bit quicker, wouldn't it? The MIDI IO XL. Uh, now, what do you get? <clears throat> you get uh, 8 in and 12 out on MIDI ports. You get 10 USB host ports. So you can run external. So I get, I mean, that's kind of interesting. That starts to really open things up. But you also get a one RTP uh, MIDI network port. Uh, for those of you who perhaps don't know, RTP MIDI is a really useful, it's just MIDI over, over network. We use it in the studio all over the place. We use it over Wi-Fi. And it's a really, particularly not so much for real-time controls necessarily. I mean, over Wi-Fi this is. But over, over Ethernet, it's really fast. It's like point to point. And it just, you could join a session. But it's really useful. I use it for this where I'm, I'm pressing a button and the button will then send something to or something over there and, you know, uh, something will happen in, in the, the video system. It's really powerful. And this is kind of the new set. And I just, what amazes me about these is, you know, this is sort of cutting edge MIDI interfaces, and but we are still talking about MIDI interfaces. You know, there's still hardware being made that's based around this protocol that's 30 years old that people kind of moan about, you know, saying it's not this and it's not that, but it's... It's amazing, man. I just, I just think hats off to MIDI, and this looks like a really cool. There's also um, MIO XM, which is a smaller version, has kind of the same stuff but less. The only thing that it doesn't have, which the original iConnectivity stuff did have, was a host port that you could plug an iOS device into. You can only access this for over uh, Wi-Fi network once it's plugged into the, your general network, but. I don't know how that will work there, but um, I don't know, Rich. Whether you do you have a need for a sort of big comprehensive MIDI networks anymore? I mean, is that something that you're you, you struggle with routing MIDI in your current studio, or is it mainly an audio kind of thing? Uh, short answer to your question is no, but I do have a very close friend who still laments the death of the Opcode Studio Five, upon which he based a rather elaborate live stage rig for an artist that he works for. And I can imagine him uh, and other people who are bringing road rigs that include MIDI devices being very interested in this product because I think it really does take their smaller uh, form factor products and expand it into something really, really intelligent and, and comprehensive. And it just looks like an amazing solution for somebody who does have racks of that kind of stuff still hanging around. I mean, I have, I actually have stuff all around me, 
but uh, none of it's wired up. <laughs> and uh, and I'm not that much in a hurry to wire it up, um, except maybe on a one at a time basis, kind of like you were talking about earlier. I suppose, no the, I suppose the thing is, I mean, you could plug in, you know, in host mode, you could plug your Rally Seaboard into it as a host and then route that MIDI through to whatever, anywhere. That's also could, could be going over a network across the other side of the room to another computer with some MPE stuff in it. It could be, you know, that, that that's the interesting, the, the, this, this plethora of host connections is quite... It's quite unusual for a MIDI interface these days, I think. Does it receive Bluetooth? I, I didn't notice. Does it uh, I don't Bluetooth? know if it does, actually. But you can That would be pretty it. cool. Yeah, I mean, I suspect... Uh, I can't see anything on there. USB door. Uh, it's good. Yeah, I can't see that. I can't see that, okay. unfortunately. Maybe uh, it doesn't. But even, yeah, even over a MIDI cable, it would it would be nice for that. But it would be nice for anybody who has a lot of gazintas and gazoutas that they need to accommodate. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, I don't know. I just think because our connectivity is still plugging away at these kind of utility devices. I think their last thing that did really well was the Play 12, which was the playback kind of thing that just took two sets of 12 inputs. And if something dropped, bang, it would just flip over to the other computer for redundancy, which is a difficult thing to achieve for prices approaching what they did. I know, Dominic, I, we, we do, we perennially have... Uh, Discussions about MIDI interfaces, and we didn't. We I just saw this one. This one just came constantly. Up. Yeah, well, you know, in Sonic Talk, I, I can see people moaning about it. God, MIDI interfaces and audio interfaces, yeah, no, or, audio interfaces and MIDI interfaces in 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 one show. No, I, what was interesting? It did come up. I think last time I was I was on, which was a few weeks ago, and. What was amazing was that everyone who was here or in the chat room was saying, "Yeah, I use this." XYZ that turned out to be like 10 years old or something. So I've got the two Uniters here, which must be 20 years old. Um, a couple of other guys were using it. And there was nothing modern, but there's obviously still a demand. I mean, there's, I've got about, I think about 24 MIDI in and out ports between the Uniters and bits and pieces. And they're all pretty much used, certainly all the outs are. Um, and there's definitely a demand for something that's actually you know, modern and, and works with these computers. The, most of the old stuff kind of generally works. But I think I said before, like my Uniters swap occasionally. So all the all the keyboards that are mapped onto one just swap with the other and everything breaks, you know. And it's, you know, they weren't really designed to be to be working in this day and age, to be honest. So this, I think, is brilliant. I love the fact that there's a whole bunch of USB ports on it. And I think that whole thing I was saying just earlier about using up an entire uh, USB patch for one keyboard, because so many keyboards now just come with a USB out and you wouldn't even bother with the five pin din is just wasteful. So um, a whole bunch coming out there is, is just is just awesome. Well, just um, any kind of controller you can plug in or, you know, yeah, plug in your, yeah, yeah. you could you could presumably plug in uh, some expert sleeper stuff, I think, mm -hmm. which would do MIDI, uh, some MIDI control. Well, you, obviously, it's not audio, but it would do MIDI stuff. So, yeah, there's loads of loads of possibilities. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think that's. I think the big one is uh, five hundred bucks. The little one is three hundred bucks. So you know, then five hundred bucks for something with that much I/O, I think, is probably. There's what? There's uh, two, four, six, uh, six on the back, four on the front, and there's loads of metering, and then there's eight in and twelve out, which are MIDI ports, which you know should give you enough for most of. And then you got the RTP MIDI, which if you then had another one, you could run another one of those across the room and have that on the network as well. So you end up with this kind of you know massively configurable MIDI system joining together over just one mm -hmm. single Ethernet wire, which is one of the big problems if you do have. 
a, a computer somewhere in a room and then two massive racks of MIDI gear, it's quite hard to get the signal to them. You know, that's that's one of the yeah. problems. And this would solve that. You know, that's a that's definitely a big one. Rich is waving and nodding sagely there. I said something that made sense. I feel proud. <laughs> <laughs> you, you told everything you say makes sense, but that actually related to my, our lives over at uh, Le Crib at Niles House. Uh, it's a long run from where the keyboard controllers are to the computer, and uh, it's been entertained many different ways over the years. Right now, it's working well on a different iConnect product, but um, but this would do it, and that's cool. Yeah, you well, they do it over Ethernet. They've got a couple that do it. I mean, this is just a big one that some of their icon, just their iConnect Four or whatever, that's got MIDI. You know, I use, I've got one here that I use occasionally for that sort of thing. You just run a cable, and it's like, oh mm -hmm. yeah, send send the session to that. I mean, the only thing I don't like about their stuff, or I didn't. I mean, I haven't used it for a while, to be honest. And I think it's been redesigned. Was the control panel interface was really a bit like, oh my god, you know, I don't really know if I'm going to be able to figure this out. All the filtering and the routing is quite, I mean, necessarily so, uh, it's complex because there's a lot of it, because I mean, mm. each port can handle 16 channels and each channel can filter god knows how many things, so you end up with quite a heavy-duty configurability sort of scenario, and I think most of their stuff, it has uh, it has um, flash RAM, so it retains the last setting you put into it, but you can easily load and save settings in and say, be this now. I suppose it would be handy if some of their ones had actual uh, preset loading you know, built in, so you could just turn a knob and go, okay, load this one, load this one, load this one. And actually, looking at that, that's... It does say like it, does. it does say back next load, doesn't it? And save. So uh, maybe I need to hush my mouth and stop I mean, dissing for live, them. Oh, for any situation, that's good. But for a live situation, especially those things, if you're trying to rig them up, it's not only changing patches; it's changing the whole MIDI configurable. Yeah, the, the MIDI settings, so one keyboard can be controlling different things in the rack. So that would be vital. Um, and I wouldn't be surprised. I mean, it's. Yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a funky piece of machinery, isn't it? Really, really good. It's good to bring it into the into the modern age, really. Yeah, that, that I agree. There. So, yeah, get over to... I, I think they're available now. So, I mean, there they are. You can buy them. I, I, was, I was trying to find a video. Uh, they haven't... Obviously, there's been no show... Uh, like I say, they weren't at... Personas weren't at AES. Uh, neither were iConnectivity. Uh, iConnectivity, it would have seemed like that might have been a good show for them because this is the sort of thing that people who are you know, perhaps upgrading their studios would go, this is just what I need, or that's just what, you know. So anyway, maybe we'll see them soon. I Actually, guess. Um, yeah. So I was going to say, Dieter in the chat, I'm just raised, raised, raised a good thing. It touches on the thing when I was going back to the LEDs and the lights and, and the opto-isolators in the MIDI cables, they stop ground loops. So even 30 years ago, you don't get a ground loop from MIDI because it ends in a light bulb and a light sensor. Um, whereas USB, I keep hearing a lot of people with USB ground loop pumps yeah. coming up. Um, so if this device can kind of cater for that and actually drop some uh, drop some of those loops, which you you would expect really if it was you know a, a complete USB That's based. I device. wonder what happens with that if you say for instance you've got a USB host like I don't know say. Uh... I know one of those uh, MIDI controllers that's got CV out as well. Like, I know the Artorium mm. Keylab Mark II or whatever. And then yeah. so you've got some kind of ground connection between that and then the audio is going back into the system and that's connected mm. by USB back to the host computer. I wonder if, if, it, if it has, you know, internal uh, ground fixing or bridging stuff that would... Yeah, I mean, you can't really control what's plugged into something that's plugged into it, if you see what I mean. So you've got to hub into it with its own problems. But it would be brilliant if they'd actually looked into it properly and at least isolated the ports on that unit. 
I was surprised. And then I can't remember what bit of kit started doing it here. And uh, you, the, the last thing I was thinking of was the USB, and it just turned out to be that. But you, you've never, ever had that issue. It just shows how solid Beast that The BSTEP Pro was the thing, the first thing that I got with that. Because you're, right. control, you're, hit, you're plugging in gate and CV plus USB back to the computer, then also right. perhaps the output of the synth module back into an audio yeah. interface that's also on USB. Yeah. So yeah. That, I think that, and, and they actually brought out a little Y split, didn't they? Which way you put the power in one side and the signal another. So you did, yeah. it did get earth isolated. But it's just a, one of those, something that one always loses, mm. I, th- mm. I find, mm. <laughs> in those scenarios. But yeah, who'd have, who'd have thunk it? USB ground. Yeah, indeed. But it is there. Um, okay, well, um, there's also, uh, there was a brief, I don't know if anyone's, well, I'll play a little bit of it and we can talk about it. This is a, this is one of those lifestyle videos that uh, is actually, oh, there it is. There's some synthesizer mastering. Uh, this is uh, Wavelag 10, which is Steinberg's, uh, used to be the only game in town in terms of mastering, mastering um, software. I think mastering of. is an art. Because and now uh, it's a wonderful Wave Lab combination of a whole bunch of new features and audio and technology. It's out now. You're taking something that you know has been created and you're changing that. And if you can add like an extra two percent of quality and goodness onto someone's record, even that tiny bit is just something beautiful. So master. Yeah, WaveLab. I don't know. Um, I, I'm guessing maybe you, Don, might have used WaveLab in the past. I mean, because it used to be the way, you know, that would be your final, final long, kind of, yeah. Yeah, long, long time ago. I did do some some work with Stein, uh, Steinberg and, uh, way back as well. I mean, it, but but not to have been uh, much help in this kind of conversation. I, I would love to check it out, actually. I mean, I've, I've been a, an Ozone isotope user since, like, version 3, and really, as soon as that came along, I haven't really looked elsewhere. And it is brilliant, but I'm, I'm finding I'm using it more as um, a plug-in style thing, sort of breaking it out rather than a sticking it on a mastering bus, you know, taking the transient thing or, the, or whatever and actually applying it as I go along. And I, I'm, I'm spoiled, really, with using that, so I'd love to check it out. But I, I, other than to say that it looks really interesting and I want to check it, I can't I give you any feedback on on today's users of, of WaveLab or how, or how it Yeah, you know, it changed. Well, I know because um, um, Studio One, Persona Studio One, has uh, has taken quite a lot of the, the, the mastering thunder because it has its own mastering section as well, which I know Gaz uses quite a lot, and he's been a WaveLab user and Steinberg user for mm-hmm. a long time. But the the, uh, the WaveLab 10, uh, sorry, WaveLab 10, it, it uh, allows now allows reference tracks, which you'd imagine it would at a minimum. So they've added those. They've added uh, video playback, so you can also master for video. Uh, external hardware effects loops which is something that's quite important obviously for real-time bounces uh and and playlisting and all the isrc and all of that kind of stuff but it it's a real sort of usually there seems to be you know you're a mastering engineer or you're not and if you master your own stuff um i don't know rich i mean do you guys master your own stuff or do you always send it away to have another pair of ears at the other end to to final to do that final sweeten point Late, lately, good. I'm on. <laughs> lately, uh, it stuff gets sent away. There has been, there was a time where uh, some of the mastering got done in house. I kind of, uh, I don't know how to put this. Uh, I think mastering should be something that you hand to somebody other than the guy who did it. I think that's the point. Right. Because if you knew what to do, you would have done it the first time. Um, well, yeah, in other words, true. you give you give somebody your best effort, and you say, "Here, 
imagine, you know, you're us and make this better. And then they, hopefully they do that. And I just think it's the act of giving it to somebody else that makes it valuable. Uh, yeah. And I think that's a fair point. So that's sort of an aesthetic thing with me now, uh, specific to the software, uh, my both love and distaste for Steinberg is now legendary, but I imagine that this is probably a really nice product and it occurs in a market where there really aren't very many current uh, mastering alternatives uh, other than the tried and true old stuff. I, I'll bet you I know people who still use Sonic Solutions on some old Macintosh somewhere. Yeah. Um, and Apple has stopped doing what they were doing for a while with that. And uh, just in general, uh, as you point out, PreSonus has, has an avenue for that, and these guys now do. And... Uh, it's handy to have when you are doing the mastering. It's definitely great to have great mastering software, and this probably would work, but I don't know. I don't. Yeah, know. It's, yeah. it is an, in, but it's an interesting thing. I mean, that, that, actually, that um, that piece, even though it was quite sort of abstract, because um, Katie Taverner uh, has, has sort of popped up recently. Um, Steinberg has been doing a bunch of stuff with him, and what she says about the mastering process is just really fascinating. And you kind of go, "Oh, I get that kind of perspective," you know, because it. I remember when we used to do it, it would go to a place, and it all felt a bit like uh, BBC old school, and it's almost a bit scientific because it was a very different environment or different layout to a standard studio, much smaller room, you know, with lovely monitoring and this super high-end equipment and a rather sort of studious and pensive individual. Excuse me, my phone seems to be going. I'm going to have to... Yeah, that's all right. It's gone. And yet you know that's I mean? kind and that's of what... Uh, that's what yeah, that's kind of what recording studios have become uh, right. to a to much extent. Mm-hmm. I mean, in terms of the control room-centric recording studio where you basically build the best possible audio environment you can so you can do the largest number of tasks in it. It sort of has come away from the old control room style thing, and, and the stuff in house looks more like little mini mastering studios to the yeah, extent that people true. can yeah, afford yeah, them. Yeah, yeah, that's very true. Yeah, uh, no, I agree. I mean, I don't know, Don, whether you or you ever made that. Did you ever do uh, go to see Porky's Prime Cuts? Did you ever get Porky to do it? A- no, I don't think do we did. I mean, we, I've gone to uh, I don't know where they were. I've gone to mastering sessions, um, and uh, you realize. I think you realize how good those people are when you've compared it to um, your own version, you know, so, so get whatever you want, master it, make sure it sounds great and then get someone with really good ears to, to, to do it and, and just hear the difference. Um, I think a lot of the, the mastering that goes on, if you're using say ozone or, or, or wave lab or whatever tends to be something you strap on the two uh, master tracks hit go and then put the track down whereas a real mastering engineer will be looking throughout the track and moving stuff around and and cutting and boosting you know it seems to be a a, a one size fits all that sounds pretty good um if you're if you're using if you're using plugins so um but i think yeah it's the same way as, as people that go in and grade film i mean it's, it takes a very uh, unique kind of person to be a mastering engineer or, or a film grading person but it's so important and i totally agree that it should be someone completely unconnected with with the mix itself totally in tune with the style of music that you're doing um so yeah so that actually you know if, you, if you're doing techno that might be a 14 year old kid mastering the techno who's out playing well maybe not 14 but out clubs all the time 18 19 year old dj if he, if he knows his stuff but in general for, for radio and for, for general non-niche mixes you know someone that's been at it a long time really really knows their stuff and has, has, has you know basically 
their whole reputation is based on that. It will do a, a much, much better job than, than, than anyone else, and including yourselves. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Interesting. I suppose the thing is, yeah, it's it's the the ability to have all of these things at our disposal. You know, the, the kind of and 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 the stuff like you know, even ozone and other other um, um, plug-in manufacturers are making these kind of mastering process things, which allow you almost to deconstruct the two bus, you know, even more, you know, whereas, mm-hmm. in fact, you know, it's actually, be, you know, there's more granularity that's being involved in that process, which which is kind of putting a bit more responsibility on them. If they were just, you know, if it's just like, well, look, I've got my EQs, I've got my compression, I've got maybe some level changes I might do, you know, to, to, to this, whereas now it's like, well, actually, I'm going to turn all of the bass down or I'm going to, bring, you know, there's more that you can do than just that. And that's kind of interesting that that's that responsibility has been almost turned back into uh, will we get into the position where we can give someone a, a stereo master and they can essentially <laughs> explode it back into the multi-track constituent parts and kind yeah, of remix yeah. it you know it's, it's got yeah, how far do you go you know true I mean, don't get don't get me wrong i mean if you put ozone on you know the stereo bus of something you're working on generally particularly if you haven't mixed it that well it'll sound way better and suddenly you'll go whoa hang on a second that sounds you know and, and the comparison will be so, so much better. Um, but it doesn't mean that it can't be even better than that. You know, it's great. It's, it, when, you, when, when you've got the mix to a situation where putting ozone on with exactly the right same level balance doesn't make that much difference, <laughs> then you know you've, kind of, you've, you've, you've nailed it about as far as you can take it. Um, but, you know, Photoshop has a balance colours button which just goes, you know, what's the lightest, what's the darkest, let's spread them all out so it's nicely balanced across the whole image. And your image generally, it looks, unless it's an image of a snow field, looks, looks great, you know. And the equivalent with a little bit more artificial intelligence and, and thought into it is, is you know, auto-mastering systems or, or mastering with, with help. And there is always, um, I'm not sure how long it will be with the way that uh, artificial intelligence grows, but at the moment there's always room for someone with experience and knowledge and good ears and fabulous monitoring and particularly excellent coffee that will take what you've done and actually make it still sound better. And and if it's your uh, your killer career-making tune, then you want to put as much work into that as possible because it's a sliding doors moment where, you know, those genuine career-making songs and tracks that come out and need to be you know handled very carefully and, and with a lot of love and attention but if it's you know let's just put something out and see what goes on then then ozone or all your own ideas on it will make it sound great i'm sure wave level as well um but i've seen you know i've seen it there's some great youtube vids about it. if you just search mastering in-house versing you know ma- real mastering versus plug-in mastering there's some great comparisons and i don't think i've seen one where the real mastering engineer hasn't come out with something that sounds a lot better than than someone's done with a with a plug-in this is interesting to me now i know it's probably going on a little bit longer but the other because essentially there are services like lander and other things which have an you know an on an, an onwardly developing ai algorithm that will learn that's learning all the time would that be better than you can do your you know what you were saying rich about you know having us having a third party pair of ears would the same apply for a third party algorithm well, um, in, included within the ozone product, since we seem to like Isotope, and I do, um, is now their assistant technology, whereby it will listen to what you're feeding it and suggest a solution. 
um, based on whatever. And you can actually tell it what to base it on. If you use tonal balance control, you can actually use some other record as your, as your frequency balance template. And so what I like about that is this. It suggests things to me that I wouldn't have otherwise thought to do, and sometimes they're cool things to do, and they just don't, they're not part of my development. They weren't around when I was growing up, and so right. I don't consider that. So, what's cool about it is I learn new ways of approaching these problems that I may or may not choose to use in the heat of the moment, but nevertheless, it's useful. But what I don't think is that laying the frosting from that cake over there on this cake over here is necessarily going to work or more likely to make it work. I tend to enjoy the process of approaching each thing as itself. And that's just an artistic decision that I make as a person who likes work in a certain way. It's not uh, dogma, and I don't necessarily think there's anything wrong with doing that. Um, it's just not a way I choose to go about it. Right. Okay. So there's your yin and yang uh, from me on that. No, I think that's a totally fair enough thing. Um, as actually, Shane King in the chat room says, uh, just as an exercise, he finds, uh, tries to find uh, poorly mastered CDs and master them himself, you know, and just sort of try and make them mm -hmm. sound better. Mm -hmm. and just as an exercise, that's actually quite a valid thing because, I mean, I suppose that's the way to learn because you won't have a creative connection to the music in, you know, you're not going to be particularly fond of the reverb on the vocal because that's when you spent ages editing, you know, whatever it may be, you could be more dispassionate about it because you may just, you get more of an emotive sense of just the music and go, can I make it sound better? Better is not always louder, but often that's the way we perceive it, you know, because that's where we got to, isn't it? The loudness wars, it's like competition and whatnot. But yeah, fascinating subject. I'm sure we could talk about it for ages, but actually we've reached reached the point in the show where we should probably say our goodbyes. And I think that's uh, that's as it should all as it should be. Uh, before we go, I just want to say thank you very much to our friends over at Isotope. Well, as we were talking about mastering, let's plug it again. Uh, Ozone 9 Advance, you can win a copy of that, uh, which is, uh, we're looking for the hashtag Mix Polish and the hashtag Ozone 9 to at Sonic State and at Isotope Inc. Uh, incidentally, I, while I was looking for some phrases on the site, I did notice, I think they've got like a 20% October sale on as well. So, you know, if you don't win, you could probably save a bit just by heading over there anyway. But... I digress. Um, Dominic, thank you so much for joining us. Yeah. Been great as ever. Um, some really fa fantastic facts and figures. And I think you got the show title this week. So it's uh, yes. chilly shallying, I think. I haven't heard that phrase for a long time. <laughs> thank you for joining no, us you. very much. <laughs> yeah. So uh, and, uh, I encourage people to go and uh, try out the Snuggle Sounds app, as, as you can plug. We should probably change your third to for some sort of link. Yeah, we? yeah, 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 to the next big thing. No, that'd be great. No, check out Snuggle Sounds, uh, App Store, iPhones, iPads. Just search for Snuggle Sounds and you'll find it and it's a free download. And let Is me know. Zs or S's? S's, Snuggle and Sounds. Good. Um, so, yeah, just uh, and let me know. You've got my Twitter thing here. Get in touch. It's only, it's only me, really. So, uh, yeah, just shout. Right. Thank you very much, Dom. And also Mr. Rich Hilton uh, there in Connecticut. Thank you for joining us as well. And a part of your several weeks of non-travelling, which must be lovely. How are you settling back into uh, into the, 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 the standard life mode? It's really nice to see uh, autumn in the northeastern United States, which I've missed for a bunch of years now. So uh, I'm, I'm generally just glad. I'm glad to be home and can't wait to get back to playing gigs. So it's all good positives all round well chaps yeah. 
Thank you very much for joining us. I shall go to my uh, that shot so we can wave our goodbyes. Uh, that's it for this time. That was uh, Sonic Talk episode 594. We'll see you again uh, next week. See you guys. Bye-bye.